Grand Steam right now. Don't plan on it. Don't remember. Don't remember? Sorry, I'm just quoting the last movie. Oh. I have that stuck in my head, the, that line read of the... Okay, the... Of the guy from yeah. the engineer, or the uh, communications officer, Jenkins. I don't just remember. Don't remember. <laughs> what are you tippity-tapping away over there? Nothing. Okay. Don't, worry. don't you worry about it. I worry. Not everything is about you, Matthew. It... <laughs> now, see. Now I know you're lying. <laughs> I'm the most important person in the universe. I am. <laughs> so welcome to Creature Crunch, the podcast where we take a creature, swap it out with a stuffed bunny with the assumption that we're going to be CGing a creature over it, and we don't, and make TJ Miller look like an idiot. My name is Matt. And I have exploded due to intense underwater pressures. And we are covering... Um, kind of a movie that holds an interesting place in our hearts. <laughs> it's one of those movies where I think we like it better than probably warranted just because of uh, how we watched it and what happened. So uh, I have a very love-hate relationship with this movie. Um, I remember, okay, we, as mentioned in the previous episode, this was the last movie that we saw in 2020 uh-huh. right before the pandemic. This is the last one the we last saw in one, theaters. Yeah. Like, with a lot of people, it was either Sonic the Hedgehog or Cats. Uh-huh. And we went with Underwater, which probably says a lot about us. Right, right, absolutely. Because, I mean, in especially in 2020's movie-going audience, ignoring the pandemic, Yeah. Um, this is a movie that, by all rights, shouldn't have existed. Okay. Um, so just a quick heads up, there will be some spoilers in this movie, which I do believe they, they need... matter if you Yeah, point. if you want to see this movie, I highly recommend not listening to this unless you've seen it. Like, yeah, The sure. spoilers, to me, this movie matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, Without a doubt. It's... It's kind of an, an anomaly in that it's a big weird audience. It is. <laughs> and, I mean, I remember this was another one of those where I saw the trailers and I'm like, there's no way this is what I think it is. There's uh-huh. no way this is an actual creature feature. But it, it was. was. And I was like, oh, cool. So I remember going to theaters and I remember enjoying it immensely. Mm-hmm. Upon the rewatch, however, yeah. uh, the cracks definitely showed. <laughs> Yeah. So you're you're kind of like, I was, you're nodding I along had, with a lot of this. I had problems staying focused on this. Like I kept like pulling out my phone and like I mean this this has the quickest turnover from the time that I watched the movie to when I watched it for the show. Right. And I mean it's almost three years, so that's <laughs> Right. Still a lot, but I, I, I kept getting distracted and I kept losing focus and like, I wonder what's going on with something over here. And I look off over the distance or something. I remember when we saw it in the theaters, I seem to remember the, seeing the creatures a lot more than well, they actually were in the movie. It, it's part of that. And also just like, once you know the, the twist, the, the, the big thing at like the, the half the, or the end of the movie, it's like that kind of colors the entire rest it changes of the movie. It, it changes it Once you know that, it's just like, okay, I know what the big thing... This is a, a very much a twist-based movie in a lot uh-huh. of ways. And it's. I think it's still worth watching, especially if you all haven't. Like, <laughs> Right, yeah, no, if you... like, yeah, It definitely, I mean, of course, at this point, if you're still listening to this, spoiled. Uh, but if for whatever reason you haven't, uh-huh. um, and I might even edit this a little bit more subtly, uh, or a little bit more sneakily to try to... Exclude, but yeah, I, I would say that this movie's at least worth a single watch, mm-hmm. um, for sure, especially if you're a creature fan. Um, yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, we'll dive into that 
pun intended, um, here in a second. Um, but uh, you ready to get into this thing, Chris? I guess we may as well. Um, so the movie was, as I mentioned, released in early 2020 in January. Um, and it is the last movie released with the 20th Century Fox logo. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney had bought Fox after the movie's production and pretty much intentionally sabotaged, sabotaged its uh-huh. release. Um, the the movie was done in like late 2017 and basically shelved got for three buried. years. It got buried. <laughs> and Disney was just like, we don't care enough even to change the logo to the updated company name. Yeah, was, yeah, that's... Um, <laughs> and they farted it out in January, which is the uh, the month where horror movies go to die. So, uh, yeah, really. yeah, they just did not care. And uh, there's a lot of speculation as to why. Um, somebody, uh, they're, they're a little bit of speculation is because of T.J. Miller being on the cast. Yeah. Uh, which is hard to blame them to a degree. But, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's unfortunate. And unsurprisingly, the movie bombed. Um, Reportedly making only half of its budget back, although mm-hmm. certain sources I saw said that it came a lot closer, but whatever. Um, it was directed by William Eubank, who previously directed um, movies called Love and The Signal. Um, and then he later did the seventh Paranormal Activity movie. Good God, there's seven of them? There are like eight or nine. Good the seventh isn't the most God. recent. <laughs> Those just um, kind of kept going, didn't they? Yes, they did. Uh, the screenplay was written by Brian Duffield and Adam Kozad. Uh, Duffield also did the screenplay for Eleven Monsters hey, right. and is currently writing the Skull Island TV series. Okay. Well, Kozad didn't really have any noteworthy credits that I could find. Okay. Um, and that's kind of the, the end of that. Um, we get the intro credits, which uh, is are played over various like headlines and schematics that mm-hmm. kind of set the uh, set the, the the narrative of the movie. Very uh, much reminded me of like of uh, the MonsterVerse. Like, yeah, credits. <laughs> yeah, very much. Uh, Except instead of censoring documents, it was just like actually setting up the world. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it does a lot of world building here, which I appreciate because it's not done in the movie like right. much at all, um, and it's done in a very like it, it's a cheeky way, but it's an effective way. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to have the weird exposition or the the odd lines throughout the rest of the movie to set it up yeah yeah although i mean i do still have a lot of questions as to how this operation i got works no but um but that's okay um we we learned through these headlines and schematics that there's an expedition by the triton company not is it triton or titan crap now i don't remember and i didn't write it down because i'm an idiot yeah it's Trion or tion tion t-i-o-n t-i-o-n i believe so let me double check that but i'm almost positive I've seen it. I saw it in, as Tion a few times, but I always thought it was uh, Tion. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So Tion Industries. Excuse me. So, um, so yeah, the uh, a company called Tion Industries is setting up an expedition to basically drill at the at the lowest point in the ocean that we know of. Yeah, the Mariana, uh, the Mariana Trench. Trench. Um, and uh, that's kind of the long and short of it. We just learned that there's this drill set up and a station that kind of maintains the drill set up roughly a mile away. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. Um, and that there's like a crew of 316 people mm-hmm. down there um, and so on and so forth. Uh, the schematics used in these opening scenes are the actual schematics used to build the sets. That's cool. <laughs> And the sets were built in VR first so that they could tweak small details, which 
honestly a, is cool as shit. That's a really good idea. That is a neat idea, and I love that. Um, like, that's a good use of, of your technology right there. Right? Uh, but through these credits, we also get some ominous messages indicating, like, strange disappearances, mysterious sightings, and other general madness. Um, we open up officially at the Kepler station, which is the aforementioned like, kind of command and control for yeah. the drill, which is known as the Roebuck drill, um, and kind of identifies the crew. And we are immediately introduced to Nora, played by Christian Stewart, uh, who's in the bathroom brushing her teeth and narrating about being underwater for months. Yeah. And can I say that Christian Stewart is great in this? She's fantastic. Like, she gets, she still gets so much shit for the Twilight movies. Which and is unfortunate. Not her fault. No, she, not even Those were bit. bad scripts given bad direction based off of bad books. Yeah. And so, th like, that's not her fault. That's not Robert Pattinson's fault. No, they're both phenomenal actors. Yeah, yeah. Especially as evidenced by what we've seen in more recent films. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, right out of, right after uh, the Twilight movie, Stuart started knocking it out of the park with stuff. Like, mm -hmm. she's great in Personal Shopper. She's great in this. It's just... She has that lodestone around her neck. She is always going to be Twilight Girl. Yeah. And that sucks because she's so much better than that. It's tragic, really. Yeah. And also, and she looks great with a butch haircut in this. Yes. Uh, she shaved her head for uh -huh. this movie. Apparently, it was something that she had just always wanted to do. Uh -huh. And it was her idea that that Nora yeah, had she, a shaved head. And, and that, she, that she would do it for like safety and sanitary reasons while being under the water. Like it was a Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a conscious decision. She basically was just like... Perfect opportunity. I'll take yeah, it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, she looks great, and she she is great in this movie. Um, also, interestingly enough, uh, Kristen Stewart has thalassophobia, so she is afraid of being underwater. Yeah, which is bad for her in this particular. <laughs> it's bad movie. in this movie because she she signed on to this movie with the assumption that the actors would be filmed and then the water would be added in later through in post, CG and yeah. stuff. But that is not the case. Not this movie happened. was 100% or near 100% filmed underwater yeah <laughs> and the the actors and actresses wore um airtight suits that uh weighed upwards of 100 pounds yeah um over 100 pounds uh, so I, I remember reading that like <laughs> after this movie came out like i was looking up other information about it and i saw that and i was like oh shit that is <laughs> yeah really unfortunate oh my yeah. gosh which Poor which Christian honestly Stewart. gives her a lot like i think that that uh gives her even more or says even more about her character it's, that she it, does such a great job in this movie and she's just like you know constantly that, having a panic attack yeah she is in in <laughs> dire straits at this movie it's enforced method acting <laughs> Uh, but she ends up saving a daddy long legs from the sink while narrating about being kind of a, having a pessimistic outlook. Yeah. Um, the spider was originally going to be a moth, but was changed because somebody thought it was too much Del Toro-like, so I dock some points from that. <laughs> like, how would either of them get down there? I was wondering that myself. Like a spider, maybe? I, I could kind of see it, um... But that but that mean, like, kind of calls into question Tion's uh, sanitary. Well, like, and, shit, uh, man, my dad used to work at a grocery store, and like they would routinely get bats in their fruit. So right, right. So I could see a, a spider hitching a ride on on supplies. Yeah, see, I would have bought more. Like a moth would have been a little unrealistic. But yeah. I mean, I guess I could see that. Like either either one is just like I don't I, know. I mean, we're kind. Of, there's 316 some odd people down here, yeah. not. All of them. I mean, obviously not all of them scientists. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, most uh, of them are just, like, workers. Like. Yeah, Nora, Nora's a, um, a mechanical engineer. We meet an, um, 
a uh, not an intern. Um, God, they, they call her an intern, but she corrects them, and I don't remember her actual position. Research assistant. But yeah, you've got a lot. Like, this is an actual working environment. Yeah. This is not just scientific expedition or even just drilling. There's a lot of workers down there. There's and, a lot of maintenance workers yeah, to keep this place running. Yeah, and you have to imagine that, like... In real life, it takes a, like, being that deep underwater or pretty deep underwater, mm -hmm. like, nobody's been this deep underwater, but um, being deep underwater is an ordeal oh, yeah. that takes months and months and months and months and months, if not years. Uh, so these people are living down there, and, I mean, we see a little bit of evidence of that. They're, they're, they're working and living down here. So it's it, it's not unfeasible to think, think that, like, oh, maybe a, a pregnant spider got down in there in yeah. somebody's luggage or whatever but it is what it is so um but she she saves the spider which is supposed to also be kind of foreshadowing and really establishing her character and making the audience immediately endeared to her and it, it works so um but uh the movie takes like all of this is like she has this opening narration and then she notices a small water leak and uh -huh. then the movie immediately kicks off with it explodes a, yeah then there's a big water leak these are the <laughs> best scenes in the movie they're, I think so. The, anyway. It's it's impressive. It's frantic. There's yeah. walls are exploding, water is flooding. She is immediately in full blown you know action, um, running through the halls, yelling and retreating, um, yelling to anybody who can hear about a pressure breach, uh -huh. um, trying to get as many people as she can to safety. She's she's joined by a man named uh, Rodrigo, who's played by Madao. Let's see if I butcher this name. Good luck, Mamoto. Mamoto Athi. Mamoto Athi. I think that's it. Momoto Athi. I think I nailed it. Good. There I don't know. Go. Momoto Athi. Anyway, um, she's joined by uh, Rodrigo, and uh, the two of them make it to relative safety where they, they try to seal the bulkhead, but um, which is protocol, but the bulkhead is jammed. Oops. Yeah. Um, she pops off the control panel and fixes the door, which is the only engineering that we ever see her do in this movie. Oh, I thought I recognized the dude. Mm -hmm. The uh, Mavadao Athi, and I was 100% correct that he did a series of sketches that I liked on uh, FX's Cake. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, I know I recognize that dude, and I was correct. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she, she fixes the door and then has to make a tough decision about sealing a couple of fleeing men out of the station in order to save the rest of the station. Uh, because it looks like they're like they're running, but it doesn't look like they're going to get there in time. And if you know, if these explosions in the water reach through this bulkhead, it's basically going to take down the entire station. Um, after sealing it, Nora radios for help, but can't reach anybody. And the two decide to head for the escape pods. Yeah. Uh, they climb through some rubble. Uh, so a lot, like we find that a lot of the station has already collapsed, even mm -hmm. the uh, the intact portions. And uh, they try to find an escape and hear somebody calling out for help. And they find Paul, who's played by T.J. Miller. And as a side note, uh -huh. fuck T.J. Miller. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you don't know, T.J. Miller is a piece of shit, and we're just going to leave it at that. Mm -hmm. uh, he calls her a sweet, flat-chested elven creature, which is rife with problems and questions. Uh, hey, Nora. You're good. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> sweet, flat-chested elven creature. Okay, just breathe for a second. You're all good. Yeah. Um, and then he has a stuffed animal, a little stuffed bunny he calls Little Paul. Um, so, as it turns out, Little Paul was supposed to be a real bunny. Oh, no. 
and they switched it out due to safety concerns. Yeah. Miller went through the entire filming thinking that it was a stand-in and that they would CG a bunny over it. Oh. Which is why he seems insane throughout the movie. Oh, fuck, that's funny. It is hilarious. Fuck, that's funny. <laughs> yes, so that is why he seems like a sociopath when he's talking to and at about this little bunny. Okay. <laughs> that's hilarious. It makes a lot of sense now that you know. But yeah, yeah. as presented, it's just him treating Be- this little... weird. Yeah, yeah, it's just him treating this little stuffed bunny like it's a real thing. that he, like a, Almost like a real person or a real bunny. Yeah. <laughs> It's the ball gang. Yeah, he's cool. Let me help. Let me help. Go try and stand up. Makes my intro make sense now, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I was wondering what the hell you were talking about. Uh, while crawling through the debris, we get a dead body jump scare. Uh huh. Um, and they arrive eventually at the where the escape pods are, and they find uh, Captain, as he's known right now. We later learn his name. I later on, I didn't note it, so he's just going to be known as Captain. Even the subtitles refer to him as the Captain. Uh huh. Uh, who's played by Vincent Castle, um, who's locked inside with the doors jammed. And uh, Castle is usually portrayed as kind of a villainous Frenchman in most <laughs> movies. Um, so they, uh, the casting of him as this captain, who we very quickly learn learn is kind of a father figure to yeah. most of the, the crew, especially to the survivors here. So it's really breaking typecast. And frankly, he does a great job. He does really well, yeah. He's a very charismatic and endearing character. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, he's locked inside and the doors are jammed. They, they really ought to work on getting doors that don't jam in this, uh, underwater station. Yeah. Um, Nora also notices that it seems all of the escape pods are gone. They've already been jettisoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would seem that Captain has stayed down here to ensure the safety of the rest of the crew, despite, um, Nora's protests that he has a daughter who gives a shit about honor and, you know, going down to the ship. Yeah. Get your ass out of here. Um, but you know, he's like, no, this is how, this is what I've decided. I'm a staying. Um, and then we are immediately introduced to two more characters in the control room. Um, Smith played by John Gallagher Jr. And Emily played by Jessica Henwick. Um, if you're not familiar, Henwick of course is, uh, Colleen Wing and, uh, also played Amy in Love and Monsters for Creature Crunch Connection. Hey, all right. Um, She's a two-timer. Yep. And, uh, John Gallagher Jr. was in 10 Cloverfield Lane, possible future Creature yeah. Crunch movie, as Emmett, the man who built Howard's bunker, or, uh, Howard being, uh, John Goodman in that yeah. movie. So, um, so possible future, um, <laughs> Creature Crunch Connection. Uh, Nora learns that the cooling towers are compromised, so an explosion is likely imminent, because as she says, uh, or as I believe it, Emily says, It's a lot of energy with nowhere to go. Right, so it's just going to go everywhere. Yep. <laughs> uh, Paul and Re- Rodrigo like anime. That's nice. It was a weird throwaway line. Yeah, I <laughs> almost thought I had imagined that. Like I, they, I thought they were saying something else, and I was like, wait, no, they... why? That's never coming up again. Why? <laughs> right. So, I mean, if, if I mean, of course, if it wasn't completely obvious from the casting, Paul is supposed to be the comic relief. Right. Um, and Rodrigo, as we, uh, spoilers, learn, is the first to die in this movie. Yeah. Um, so they don't have a huge amount of time to establish him as a character. So I think that's kind of what this is supposed to be, is to kind of give him a little bit of a personality, but also have Paul Something play like off that. it. But it's a weird, it's a weird little bit. Um, but, uh, the captain has a plan to descend the cargo elevator to the seafloor and walk through the access tunnels to the mid station, recharge their diving equipment to basically their oxygen tanks, uh-huh. um, or as they call them like oxygen, uh, converters 
or something. I don't even remember what they call them now. I'll get to uh, oxygen scrubbers. Scrubbers. That's what it was. Oxygen scrubbers. Um, and walk across the seafloor to the Roloch. Um, while he's kind of coming up with this this uh, plan, Smith ends up hearing the drilling station's last transmission and shares it with the rest of the survivors. And it sounds like there's something roaring and growling through the static. Um, which is ominous, um, mm-hmm. especially since, like, the marketing for this movie was done surprisingly well. In most of it, yeah. It, uh, it was pretty subtle. It was it was very, very subtle, and it was one of those where, like, they did enough to make me think, like, oh, this does look like a creature movie, but they don't uh-huh. outright go out and say it. So this is kind of a really ominous, really cool thing. Also, whatever's on the other end, like, it's, it's very, very... It's spooky. Like, they really play into the idea of being at the bottom of the ocean. Like, yeah, that is not a place... Like, I, I love disaster movies with, that are with humans where they're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, either at the bottom of the ocean, or in space, or in a volcano, or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's not not like just you're doing your own thing, and then bad stuff happens. Like, that's right. not very interesting to me. Yeah. But if you're somewhere you're not supposed to be, and then it continually goes wrong, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, like, this very much starts out as straight up a disaster movie. Like, right. they're at an underwater drilling station, something has gone wrong, and now they're all beside an adventure. Yep. And, like, that is, an, that is an interesting concept because, I mean, thalassophobia is relatively common. Uh-huh. Even if, if you're not diagnosed with thalassophobia, like, most people have a, a most fear Most people of don't being... want to go into deep water. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a general fear. I personally absolutely have it, but for me it's a little bit more of a fascination uh-huh. kind of thing. Um, and so I find things like this fascinating, even though it scares the bejesus out of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I, I but... was thinking about it when I was watching this yesterday, and it's like, where would I rather be, like... In a, the space station from life where something goes wrong, or in this drilling station under the water where something goes wrong. And, like, I'd rather be in space, because at least then I'm in space. Absolutely. No. <laughs> like, there's no question for me. That'd be my answer, too. Um, because, I don't know. I just find it absolutely horrifying down here. Um, but I honestly think that's also where this movie... The, that's that's what, the strongest parts of this movie. That well, And that's what... That is, to me, what makes this movie not as good. Oh, really? If it was a straight-up disaster movie, it'd be great. Uh-huh. And if it was a straight-up monster movie, I think oh, it'd be great. you think but it straddles the line th- a bit too much? I think it does. I don't think it leans in either direction enough. Yeah. Or at least... And, and I could be wrong, um, because, again, I am a creature movie fan. Yeah. Like, disaster movies are okay. Survivalist movies are fine. Uh-huh. There's a few good ones out there, but they're not my shtick. Right. Creature movies are. Yeah. And I don't feel like... At least they don't lean close enough... Or far enough into the creature aspect of this movie. Yeah. But... I can see that. Um, but anyway, um, and then we also get a really goddamn weird line read from Paul where he says, because we drilled too deep. Okay. It's those tectonic plates. I talk about all the time. Like, what the fuck even are you, Paul? Yeah. Um, like the, the, we drilled too deep line is definitely referencing the Balrog from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, they, they dug too deep to greedily and they woke up the Balrog. And so that's kind of a hint that they've found something down here that probably shouldn't have been found. Right. Right. And, um, but it, it's, it's really strange because there are a lot of references to Alice in Wonderland in this movie. There are. And most of them come from Paul. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know why. I don't know. I don't either, and I don't know why this. Anyway, whatever. It's very um, strange. And then SpongeBob SquarePants theme by Avril, Avril Lavigne plays. That for some, that's a choice. It was weird. Um, but they, they anyway, they, they suit up, and while doing so, Emily notices a painting on the wall depicting a bunch of people being attacked by a kraken, and she starts to get nervous. Which Why is, is an this inter- painting here? That's an interesting choice. The fucking decor in this place <laughs> is insane. Because you've got this mural that's like, oh yeah, here's a giant like undersea squid that can just murder your ass. We're going to put it here where everyone has to look at it. And then they get to the, the later station, and there's like those swirly, like, mose- or not mosaics, but bas-reliefs in the wall and stuff. I get where they're going with this, especially some of the stuff we see later, but it's still just like, this is insane. <laughs> Why? Okay, I worked at a place where I was essentially traumatized. Yep, I, and, I recall. Uh, they had a very specific shade of orange on the walls. And for years after I left that place, every time I would see that shade of orange, I would start to have a panic attack. Yeah, I remember that. And... I cannot imagine working in a place where this is the decor. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's because that stuff can affect you. And that would be like, like that would be like going to the zoo behind the scenes and in the like the lion enclosure where the the zookeepers are. There's just a bunch of pictures of people being mauled by lions or something. So I don't even know. It's like <laughs> it's it's a baffling choice. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool painting, but it's it is a, a yeah, baffling it's a cool choice. painting, but. It was another one, just like the anime line, I had to, like, go back and rewind for a second and be like, okay, wait, what, why, what, why is that here? <laughs> <laughs> but it's also interesting because, um, you know, Emily, Emily starts to have a panic attack and it's kind of a through line through the rest of this movie that she's very susceptible to these, these just panic and freaking out. Right. Um, which is, it's hilarious because, um, because Jessica Henwick is a very capable woman who is... Very, like she was Colleen Wing, and just yeah. like just like playing Amy in Love and Monsters, where she had to kind of downplay that she couldn't actually fight, and then right. she has to play this super meek and like terrified girl. It really kind of gives her credit it, to her acting she's a, ability. She's a good actress. I mean, she's great. She's probably the best part of that season of uh, Iron Fist. Oh, she like, is absolutely the best part of Iron Fist. I mean, <laughs> no it's a question. low bar, but yeah. Um. And then we we see way more of T.J. Miller than, frankly, I'm yeah, comfortable don't with. Yeah, don't care for that uh, at all. But there's a tattoo on his chest that is the Cheshire Cat. Um, and uh, Paul and Smith uh, arm themselves. They're, they're kind of freaked out about whatever they heard on the uh, uh-huh. radio. So they grab these. I, I think they're like nail guns or something. I th- or like bolt guns or something yeah, like bolt, that. Yeah, bolt guns or something. I mean, I, I think that they're like I, bolt drivers is what they are. Yeah, like I know that there's a lot of horror movies where there are like, I mean... We we discussed it briefly in the thing episode where it's like it's a re, it's a scientific research station that has a gun cabinet. Right, like that's kind of strange. Um, for that one at least, it was the the Cold War that they could kind of yeah. blame it on. This time though, it's like if they had actual guns here, it'd be like why? Yeah, so it makes so, it makes a lot of sense for it to be a rivet gun. Right, kind of like in uh, Dead Space, where like mm-hmm. that's your your primary weapon is a rivet gun. Yeah, I mean you an later engineer. modify the hell out of it and it becomes an actual weapon, but Still. it starts out as like a rivet. Yeah, gun. and it, it, yeah, you're just yeah. So that's why I love Dead Space. <laughs> Dead Space is great. So. Um, so anyway, uh, they arm themselves. Uh, Emily continues to freak out, and Smith begins talking her through it. And Paul quotes the song "Any Road" by George Harrison, which paraphrases a conversation yeah. from Alice in Wonderland. Just why? Why is that a theme? I don't know. 
You don't know where you're going. Any road can get you there. Seriously. What? It's not me, Nora. It's from a book. After they get underwater um, in kind of like the airlock, uh, the captain then informs them that they're going to have to jump into the cargo, jump to the cargo lift. Right. So that was, a, <laughs> he's, he's a, he is a good leader. <laughs> he didn't tell them the hard part until it was too late. Yeah. Um, but the exterior door is jammed because of course it is. Because every door is Every jammed. goddamn door is jammed in this place. And while they work on opening it, uh, Nora notices a huge crack forming in Rodrigo's helmet. Uh, she tries to stop them from opening the door, but it's too late. They they open it up, and the water pressure immediately makes Rodrigo implode. That's, yeah. And that's a hell of a scene, too. It's honestly pretty graphic. It's terrifying and graphic, and, yeah. And Emily doesn't handle this well. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, but Nora does is the first to step out into the void, and we get that first, like, just look into just vast the blackness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they, they jump down to the elevator and get inside and Nora immediately shares her suspicions that Rodrigo uh -huh. knew the helmet was faulty and purposefully took the bad one. Yeah. Um, and then Paul kind of in remembrance recites a terrible joke that Rodrigo used to tell. Um, and it was one of those really bad jokes that the more he told it, the more funny it got because right. it was just kind of a running joke that he kept telling it. What did the fish say when it bumped into the brick wall? Damn. Um, Nora notices a signal coming from the platform below as they descend, and the captain kind of determines that it's probably one of the escape pods that didn't make it, and likely might be a survivor. Uh, but they descend. They, they decide to send Paul and Smith out uh, of the elevator to rescue the survivor that they assume is there, um, or that they, they suspect might be there. Uh, and... Uh, Paul gives Lil Paul to Emily and threatens to haunt her if he doesn't make it. Because Great. because Lil yeah, Paul is supposed to be a real bunny. <laughs> Lil Paul is supposed to be a real bunny, yeah. Um, that's, <laughs> that's the greatest. It makes so much more sense, but like... It, it's, it's, the whole, it's the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. Yeah, and I have <laughs> to wonder if they didn't tell T.J. Miller to fuck with them. Because <laughs> he's a shithead. I hope so. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Oh yeah, we're totally gonna replace this with a real bunny after after er, filming. Er, it, it's gonna look like a real rabbit, so this will all make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Just laughing behind their hands at him, right? Fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, Emily asks Nora and uh, Captain about family. Uh, she just starts making small talk, which is her personality, as it turns out later on. Like, she's just very inquisitive about uh -huh. everybody else's family. And Cap says that he has a 14-year-old a, a daughter. Uh, Nora kind of corrects him. She's like, mm, your daughter should be my age by now. Right. Like, and he's like, oh, that's weird. I don't know why I said 14. Um so it's like, oh, damn it, Cap, you're going senile. <laughs> he, he blames it on the stress. but um, And we learn that Emily has a corgi who isn't house-trained yet, and so she's stressed about that, which makes me question how long she's been down here or how long she intended to be down here. That's my question, is like, how long have any of these people been down here? Right, because again, like, I mean, even with the assumption that this is pretty far in the future, and... You know, we take the the scientific or the the uh, we take the sci-fi uh, suspension of disbelief yeah. that this is even possible. Um, I don't imagine it's just a quick like 
oh, got to go to my day job at the bottom of the ocean. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't make any sense at all. I have to. Am- and I mean, we see, and we these see their people- quarters. And yeah, stuff. we see their living quarters. These people are clearly down there for months and months at a time. So yeah. it's like, well, Emily, why would you even get a little puppy that isn't house trained yet? And why would you still be stressing about it? By the time you come back, it's going to be a full-grown dog. Who's and either... not going to remember you. Yeah, who's either going to be fully house-trained or have ruined your house. So I hope there's someone watching it. <laughs> I hope, yeah. It's, it's, I, I hope it's not fending for itself. You just leave it in your house with one of those self-feeder things. And... <laughs> just fill it up completely. Yeah, just... I hope you know what to do with this. <laughs> just go to the bottom of the like sea. Four for... dogs of bag food sitting next to it and like, right. you're on your own, Corgi. <laughs> I don't even remember. I think she named she she drops its name, but I didn't notate it. I I couldn't remember if she dropped the corgi's name or if uh, Kristen Stewart dropped her dog's Nora, name. Nora mentioned her dog's name. Yeah, later it's on. Jim and James when she's upset or something like right. that. Right, which I always thought was just her just telling Emily whatever she wanted to hear to keep her calm. But I don't know. We we'll get to that. Um, but uh, the, the three still inside of the elevator watch on monitors as Smith and Paul step out into onto the unstable platform. And they hear some strange noises. Yeah. Uh, they find the pod, which looks like it was imploded and c- it's kind of covered in this weird, goopy substance. Yeah. And they ask, question, like, if the pressure liquefied the person in there or... Mm-hmm. Um, at first they don't find a body, but then they do, which is tangled up in some loose tubing. Yeah. And it looks kind of tore up. And while investigating it, something rapidly swims out of it, uh, very alien style. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Smith shoots it, and we actually get a relatively cool transition effect of them in back inside the, uh, the elevator on a light table. Also, uh, a nod to Alien. I don't know why it's in this elevator, but whatever. Well, this movie is, is Alien, except wet. Yeah, it's... Very much inspired by. Um, and they plop this thing that Smith apparently did shoot onto the table. It uh-huh. looks kind of like a giant dead tadpole looking creature with, yeah, wicked teeth, no eyes, little hands, yeah. tentacles. Um, it, it reminds me of, it reminds me of what I imagine the slod tadpole to be in D&D. Yeah. <laughs> it like reminded me out of like a, an enemy from Met, from uh, Metroid. Like it's oh, very yeah. Metroid. I could see that. Like one of the little flying bastards that yeah. uh, have a set path and just block your way and you have to use something them as, like that. Or you have like, to hit him with the ice ray to make a platform or something. Something like that. <laughs> or like even from the Prime games where it's like, here's a whole swarm of these and you gotta oh, yeah. <laughs> use an ice beam to disperse them or something like that. Sure, sure. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it just looked very Metroidy and I don't really know why. It's interesting. <laughs> um, its design is very clearly based off of the chest burster. Oh, yeah. Alien, oh, but, yeah. Um, maybe a little bit bigger. But it's a cool-looking creature. Mm-hmm. It's cool enough. Um, and while in, like kind of investigating the corpse, uh, Emily hypothesizes that it is a previously undiscovered species uh, that they may have located after drilling into a thermal pocket. Um, right. At some point in time in the movie, they mention that, uh, she mentions that the, the temperature of the water has increased by 10 degrees. Um, so that kind of lead, lends credence to her mm-hmm. claim here. But... Um, then they lose power in the elevator and hear distant growling noises. If we can disengage, definitely. What was that? And then something slams the elevator, and Paul wonders what allowed what everybody is thinking, that what if this creature is a baby? Yeah, what if this is not a fully grown mm-hmm. thing? <laughs> they look up through the viewing window at the top of the elevator, and uh, we get a jump scare as some tentacles... 
or something with tentacles slams into the window. And then we get a cool shot of the Kepler uh, station exploding above and silhouetting whatever this creature is briefly uh-huh. before it swims away. Um, but the explosion sends the elevator into a free fall. Um, they have to evacuate the elevator before impact. Um, and they, I guess they do that because then it's pretty much cuts directly to them running across the seafloor with yeah. debris raining around them. Kind of a weird cut. But... It is, but whatever. It moves the movie along. Um and uh, Smith is hit by some of this falling debris, which is an intense scene. Um, they eventually finally get to the access tunnel, and uh, Paul briefly yells that the door is jammed. Again? Again. Yeah. It doesn't, like, they get the door open pretty quick, though. It doesn't really do anything to, to delay the movie, but I had that note. OSHA would have a field day at this <laughs> facility. It would seem that uh, Smith's oxygen scrubber was hit, but he's going to be okay. Like he's uh-huh. he, his suit's compromised, and in in the fact that it's not going to have a huge amount of oxygen later on. But other than that, he's okay. It didn't really hurt him. Um, inside this this uh, kind of access tunnel, they ride a tram down the tunnel for just a little bit before they reach a particularly flooded part or, part of the track. Um, Paul quotes Alice in Wonderland again. And uh, they climb off and begin wading through the tunnel and eventually come across someone's just discarded stuff. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and Emily immediately has another panic attack. Um, they eventually reach what seems like a dead end. And uh, Nora volunteers to check under the water to see if there's room because, and I quote, she's the smallest. Which I don't think counts because they're all wearing suits that I'm pretty sure the exact same size yeah. as each other. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like... The, all of these suits are like futuristic looking diving suits uh-huh. like like uh or, or or what I would the honestly the funny thing is I liken them more to like what we imagine space commando oh. um from like Warhammer suits look like <laughs> so they're, but yeah. they're pretty big and bulky but she can check cuz she's the smallest <laughs> whatever um she does find a passageway th- um, under the water and uh, one by one they all swim through um, Paul and Smith are the last ones to go and they have a quick moment and it's revealed that Smith kind of has a thing for Emily and Paul continues to be weird with his stuffed bunny and notices that something is in the tunnel lurking behind them and at this point we're pretty sure Smith's gonna get killed yeah yeah <laughs> he's getting background information that's never good <laughs> yeah like oh you you know this is the two days from a retirement thing. right like, yeah it's my first day on the job and I'm two uh, days away from retirement um but uh Smith goes on ahead and uh we get this something in the tunnel behind Paul before he goes and then we don't see Paul again and the, the crew on the other side starts to panic because he's not through yet so they start pulling the line that these got he's tethered to and they start pulling him through and you're fully expecting them to pull up like this dismembered corpse. Right. But no, he gets through, but his line is still caught somewhere down the hole. And suddenly something pulls him back. He just gets yoinked away. Yeah. And they, while they play tug of war with him, um, his boot comes off. Uh, because again, you're thinking like they're playing tug of war. It's going to be one of those where like it rips him in half and they just pull the top. Right. Yeah. But instead his boot comes off and it appears like he's sucked out through the leg of the suit. That's what it looks like. Yeah. It is intense. It's a gross looking scene. It's a, it's cool. To me, coolest death in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) And thank God no more TJ Miller. Yeah. But, um, and then we cut to them at the way station. Uh, they somehow recovered little Paul without a speck <laughs> of blood on it. Because little Paul was in the suit when he right. died. And there was just blood everywhere in the suit. But little Paul does not have any blood on it. 
Um, oh, yeah, you're supposed to be replaced with a CG bunny, <laughs> so that, why would they bother putting blood on the prop? <laughs> yep. Um, and they can see the drill, the Roebuck, uh, out through the viewing port, like the viewing windows, and Smith notices that it looks like the drill has been ripped up, despite its immense mass. Like, this is a huge thing, and it is... It has been dislodged. Yeah. So, uh, Emily gets a little philosophical. We did this. We drilled the bottom of the ocean. Now we took too much. And now she's taking back. We're not supposed to be down here. No one is. Which I think might be a new square on the Creature Crunch bingo. Oh, where we take a brief moment to contemplate our navels? Yes. Um, and an inspection of suit, uh, Smith's suit reveals that he likely won't make it all the way to the drill. He's not going to have enough oxygen. Yeah. Um, why they didn't cannibalize Paul, the rest of Paul's suit is beyond me. They don't mention that it's damaged or anything, so I... And, and they got friggin' little Paul out of there just yeah, fine, yeah. so... But, um... They precariously move on with Smith's busted tank, hoping that he might have enough oxygen to survive the trip, because what other option does he have? Um, and we finally see them spot one of the creatures. They they stop and kill the lights, and Cap turns on his infrared. And while searching, this creature ten somehow grabs Smith. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it drags him away for a ways, and they chase after him, and they eventually are able to recover him. He's alive, though it looks like he's unconscious at this point. Or at least barely conscious. Um, while saving him, though, Captain um, goes for the nail gun that Smith had, and he gets ganked by the creature. Be apparently, since he and Nora are tethered together, uh, she gets pulled along too. Mm -hmm. um, the creature pulls them up through the water towards another platform, and uh, kind of ends up letting go of them, uh, where they slam into the platform, and the, I think the tether breaks, and they have a moment to recover. They, they have to save each other. Um but uh, they get yanked again, and Nora this time is just holding on to Cap's glove. Um, apparently, though, a lot of CG was obviously used in this movie, um, as far as like some of the action scenes go. Uh, many of the flipping and falling stunts were performed by actors and stuntmen while underwater. Mm -hmm. That's and geez. Eubank is particularly proud of the shot where Cap is flipping through the water after hitting the platform because yeah. that is a that's a rough stunt or stunt steam. And he, stunt. yeah, and and the director is very happy with the way it came out. Yeah. So yeah. he's he's like it's my he, he said it's one of my favorite shots. Most people don't even notice it or th write it off as CG. Anyway, so this time though, the creature continues to ascend uh, pulling the two of them up and threatening what I assume is the kind of the pressure of the suit to overcompensate from the water pressure faster than it can stabilize or something like basically there's, there's an issue. I mean, in real life, most divers can't ascend too right. high up because of, they get the bins. Yes. Um, but I don't know how much of that actually applies here. I don't know. Um, because that's not, I don't know if that's, it might. I don't think that's what's going on here. But it I'm might not, be, but it might, I don't know. It's kind of tricky to tell. I, but. Yeah. Um, I'm not smart enough to make that call. Yeah, regardless, the suit, like the AI in the suit or the, it seems to be very concerned with, um, <laughs> with how fast they're ascending. Yeah. And is giving like this, these percentage readings of how stable it's, it is. Yeah. And, uh. 
Nora refuses to let go of Captain, but he makes the decision to detach his glove in order to save her. And shortly after, he explodes. Um, later, later um, we kind of cut awkwardly to Nora finding herself at the yeah, shepherd she's just kind of there. Yeah, of we don't see her fall and hit the ground or anything. She's just kind of there. She finds herself at what the subtitles identify as the shepherd drill, which is an abandoned drill. Um, and she's pretty much out of oxygen, mm-hmm. and uh, she attempts to contact Emily and Smith, but is getting no response. Um, and she goes inside, and she sees, like, it has a shot of this toy on, like, a foosball table or something. Yeah. I don't know. I couldn't identify the toy itself. Um, but there are a lot more toys in this station than I thought there would be. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they were all supposed to be little CG people. <laughs> this is This was supposed to be, like, a little CG, like, Friggin' Aquaman villain or some shit. Some. <laughs> um, but there she finds Captain's old locker and discovers that his daughter had actually died when she was 13. Yeah. There is some interesting stuff in this shot. Yes, there is. I'm glad you brought that yeah, up. I very much want to mention that. Uh, you see... I mean, I don't know if we should talk about this now or wait until... Well, I mean, at this point, if... if if you disregarded the spoiler warning at this point and have gone through this far, well, we can we can talk about it later on. Okay, we yeah, talk we'll, talk, we'll yeah. talk about that later on. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So she finds this. You know, she finds this basically this memoriam card, this in memory of his daughter, and it really teaches us a lot about Captain's motivations right. and his character even more, especially since. I mean, it would seem that Nora and Cap were pretty close, but she had no idea that his daughter had died. Yeah, yeah. Uh, She's unable to engineer her canister back and instead switches to what kind of appears to be an old suit model. Doesn't really matter at all, but she finds another suit. Um, And she also arms herself in this tunnel, er, in this station with like a flare gun. Uh, She heads out, continuing to radio for Emily and Smith. Um... And eventually she does start getting Emily on comms, uh, kind of pouring her heart out to Smith, uh, who is unconscious, Uh fully at this point. Um, And she can't hear Nora. But uh, eventually eventually, uh, Nora does find them. Um, Emily is having a full-blown panic attack again. And uh, Nora has to, to, like, tackle her and kind of try to calm her down. Um, and the two of them at that point realize that Emily has to be close to being out of air. So I'm sure the panic attack didn't help matters. And Smith is almost assuredly dead. Like there's like, if he, it was questioned whether he was going to survive with enough oxygen as it was. And if the people who had plenty of oxygen are running low, then he's doomed. I mean, I know he's unconscious, so he's probably not using as much oxygen as Uh he would be when he was awake. And he is listed as a survivor at the end of the movie. The two women bond. And this is where we get Nora uh, to deliver her kind of tragic backstory where she was engaged to Smith's best friend who had recently died in a diving accident. Which I'm sure that this conversation is another great way to conserve oxygen. Right, yeah, yeah. That's what you want to do. And see, these are the scenes where, to me, the movie really drags. Kind of, yeah, yeah. And, like, after, after Cap's death and this whole bit, like, we've already... We have already gotten the, the, oh my god, we're at, alone at the bottom of the ocean thing. Uh-huh. Give me more creatures. <laughs> but um, You're going to get them here in just a moment, man. Um, they eventually arrive at this kind of bridge to, that leads to the drill's command station. And they find dozens of the creatures sleeping along this kind of 
covering of the uh-huh. of the of the the bridge. Uh, the two women try to navigate their way through these dangling limbs, and about halfway through, Emily's um, oxygen alarm starts going off. And they have a brief moment of panic, but it doesn't seem to wake any of these creatures up. But then one of them like lowers its hand, and it just kind of caresses Nora's helmet in its yeah. sleep. <laughs> um, it's reaching out for a hug. <laughs> and once the danger seems to be over, uh, it suddenly wakens up, uh, wakes up and attacks her. And then it starts to swallow her whole. Yeah. Like, that's an ability I was not expecting from these things. No, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it, it opens its friggin' mouth and just starts taking her in. And just, yeah. She, fortunately, though, she's got that flare gun. She shoots it through the back of the head and she kind of, like, tears her way out of it. Um, and then all of the creatures around start making predator sounds at her. Amazon subtitles wouldn't comment on whether this was wickering Wickering. or not. Yeah. (laughs) I watched uh, the Blu-ray and it just said, Noises. (laughs) (laughs) Noises. <laughs> <laughs> or creature um, noises, I think. Yeah. And then Nora notices something huge in the distance. And this, she she fires a flare, and this is where we get the big reveal. It illuminates Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah. It And yes, that is who that's, this that's, is. Yeah, yeah that's it been, 100% who this is. Yep, this is confirmed that not this is not just inspired by Cthulhu. It's the makers of the movie say, this is fucking Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah. So, um... Dion Corporation drilled straight into fucking relay and woke the big man up himself. <laughs> uh, so let's take a quick break to talk a little bit about some of the behind the scenes stuff yeah. and something going on, something else going on here. So originally, when the movie was originally written, it Cthulhu wasn't going to be in this movie. This is not a, no. a friggin' Lovecraftian horror movie. This isn't a cosmic horror movie. No. Although if it had gone all the way into that, goddamn, I would have loved this. Right. But. Um. Instead, it was uh, they were supposed to come across a slew of underwater horrors, including a 20-foot-tall spider crab, a creature resembling a long-limbed skeletal human that walked Holy on all shit. fours. That would have been terrifying. Right? A blob-like fish, or a blobfish-like creature, um, a giant bioluminescent uh, shark, and a colossal creature with a number of smaller creatures attached to it. That would have been awesome. Right? I actually think I would have preferred those. Yeah, yeah. But... Instead, we got this, um, which... It's an interesting choice, and it's surprising. Yeah, so, um, Elephant in the Room, Lovecraft was also a douchebag. Uh-huh. Uh, that being said, Cthulhu and the, everything that he created, pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Public domain, He's not. he and his family aren't seeing a dime of it. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, Cthulhu is one of the more recognizable, you yeah. know I mean, it, it coined the term Eldritch Horror, right? Kind of, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, it's from that like myth, like universe, like right, say. right. So, um, and as you kind of alluded to um, earlier in the movie, mm-hmm. when uh, when Nora was looking through Captain's locker, we see some things. Chris, did you yeah. want to touch up on those? Well, one of them is you see uh, one of the sketches of Cthulhu that was included in Lovecraft's works. From what I could tell, it was the original, the original sketch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you also see, like, there's a map of the uh, the mining area or the drilling area, and there's markings on it that look 
suspiciously, suspiciously like ley lines. And then there's also a little uh, el- elder sign off mm-hmm. in the distance, a little symbol that's described as looking as like the halfway point between a star and a tree. Yeah. So they knew what they were doing in the yeah, building yeah, of this. Yeah, and by that point they knew. Absolutely. And that's where the really cool thing about this movie kind of comes in. Like, this is the reason why this movie is worth watching. Uh-huh. Because it is a surprise kaiju movie. I mean, yeah. I remember we were shocked when we saw this in well, theaters. Like, they, at one point they mentioned, like, oh, something huge would have had to have moved the drill. So you're kind of expecting there to be something big at some point. You don't expect this. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's wild. You don't expect an actual elder god to just, like, sit up and be in the movie. Yeah, right? And um, that's one thing that Disney did right about the marketing in this movie, because they very much could have tried to capitalize on the, um, I guess, unintentionally, right? They Disney did this unintentionally, right? Because they very mm-hmm. much could have tried to capitalize on the, the fandom that would show up yeah. just because this was a Cthulhu movie. Yeah. But they didn't even come close to putting no. that in the trailers. Like they the didn't only, want this in the marketing at all. Yeah. I was looking at some of the one sheets for this movie and like the only one that even hints that it's like a creature movie instead of just like underwater goes bad movie is there's one that's uh, Nora like looking into the abyss and she's framed by a pair of huge jaws. And that's like the only one where it's like, oh, this is a creature movie and not just an right. accident movie. Yeah. Like the trailers kind of spoiled that a little bit, but... A little bit, but I like what you're saying. I think it was, they, uh-huh. they kept it subtle enough. Uh-huh. Um, but this also starts really like, maybe not to the, the same extent that Cloverfield does, but this also kind of gets the a lot of the fandom to start talking about this. Uh-huh. Because um, as we find out later in the movie during the end credits, the Tion group covers everything up. And then wants to continue drilling. Yeah, yeah. It is heavily suggested that the Tion group, like you said, knew there was something down there. Yeah. In fact, it suggested they knew it was Cthulhu. Yeah. And that they yeah, yeah. were a cult trying to get to him. And that is insane. I love that. That, that is, is a it is a such a cool twist. It is a really really cool twist. Uh-huh. And I'm on one one part of me wishes that they'd push that a little bit further. Uh-huh. But another part of me likes that it's that subtle. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's cool. It's cool. Um, but this, this creature, Cthulhu, smashes the bridge behind her, causing, causing an explosion that rockets her towards the drill. Um, she ends up regaining consciousness with Emily dragging her to safety inside of the kind of command center. Right. Uh, Emily tries to remove Nora's helmet because now Nora's OT2 is pretty much gone. And, uh, the helmet is, let's say it all together, jammed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Smith is alive somehow. <laughs> yeah, I don't get that, but... Yep. And, uh, then they all start running through the facility in their underwear, and watching them do so, like, made me wonder how fucking cold that water must be. Oh, oh my gosh, like, I don't even want to think about it. Like, like, a thermal vent and whatever, raising 10 degrees, like, whatever. I mean, a 10 degree jump in, in water is a significant jump, as any climatologist will tell you, but still, like, that is... That's, it's gotta be freezing cold though yeah like oh my god um but they they make it to the control room and they see cthulhu outside of it and it is smashing the drill um nora finds three escape pods left but uh she discovers that only two of them are functional and she makes the decision to save uh emily and smith without them knowing that hers is is not gonna make it um smith 
gets in the pod. They give little Paul to him, who turns into a real bunny, apparently, with instructions <laughs> to give it to Paul's parents. Um, and they send him up. And after that, Emily notices the broken pod, and they argue about who gets saved. Um, but Nora ends up winning the argument by punching Emily in the face and shoving her into the pod. Hey, it ends arguments. <laughs> and uh, Nora consigns herself to death within the control room. Um, but then we see that Cthulhu seems to be shedding the little ones. Yeah, yeah. I've um, seen them referred to as deep ones, they're... which ties into the mythos, but that's not what deep ones are in the no, mythos. Um, so... the, the closer people... Uh, the um, My research said that they were a lot more similar to Shoggoth, which, I mean, it's I not don't... not mm, there, but that's what no. they were called. But okay. whatever. Um, Shoggoth are kind of like formless, shapeless horrors, like... That's what the internet told me. It'd be me. more like a black pudding. <laughs> but um, she she watches Cthulhu shed these little tiny ones, and there are a lot of there's them. There's a ton of them. And she also looks over, and there's like this little like uh, kind of radar projection um, that shows that they're all swimming up to intercept the pods. Yeah. And Nora decides that in order to save the, the two, like she's going to die anyway. May she well sets, take out Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah, she sets the cooling towers to explode. Um, she verbally warns Cthulhu that it has 60 seconds before the towers explode, and Cthulhu apparently hears her and begins to ascend. <laughs> uh, but that six, 60 seconds was really fucking short, and it doesn't get away. <laughs> right. Like, she says 60 seconds, and I'm pretty sure that the explosion is 10 seconds, not even 10 seconds later in the movie, but whatever. Um... And we get a final shot of Nora just kind of in water ascending behind. It's weird. It's it's an artsy shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, like I said, the end credits uh, reveal, um, well, you mentioned, uh, the end credits reveal through headlines that Smith and Emily both survived. Yep. Uh, but the Tian Industries uh, covered the whole thing up and plan on continuing to drill. We also finally get a time, uh, the date of when this movie takes place. Right. And it's supposed to be in the year 2050. So it is pretty far future yeah well far not future, that far not that far i man. know but it is in the future <laughs> technologically it's pretty far yeah that's but, 28 years from now <laughs> yeah um so that was underwater um if you listened all the way through this honestly at that point i can't recommend this movie yeah. <laughs> if you i can only recommend this movie just for the the twist cthulhu because that's the Surprise cool cthulhu. part but um other than that like i said i I seem to remember more creatures than there were. Like, there's, it's mostly just them walking through underwater environments, yeah. which are oppressive and terrifying, very uh -huh. claustrophobic feeling. But, and the acting is great, save for Paul. Yeah. Although Paul's acting is unintentionally hilarious in retrospect. Yep. Um. So good send off to T.J. Miller. Goodbye, you stupid bastard. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. But yeah, uh, we're gonna jump on over to the crunch. Okay. Fiercely alive, will to survive, able to thrive on her own. Self-contained, properly trained, hydroponically grown. Underwater woman, breathing underwater. Welcome back. Um, so we are going to crunch us up a monster. Yeah. Okay. Why'd you say it like that? I don't know. 
We're crouching up a monster. God damn, man. Bad Cockney accent. Yeah. Um, Freaking weirdo. So I, I did, while watching this movie, while I was think, trying to think of a way to crunch, like what I was going to do for the uh-huh. crunch, um, I couldn't help but notice the similarities that I would have to pull with our beach hunter from way back in episode two. Right. So I decided to just lean embrace it. it. <laughs> yeah, lean into it. I made the deep hunter. Oh, okay. So, so he's like the beach hunter, but wetter. Yes. Um, this is a large monstrosity, chaotic neutral. I originally had him as medium uh-huh. uh, until I looked at some of the concept art, and these guys are big. Yeah. They don't, it doesn't come across too much in the movie. Maybe well, the I, other one than eats Christian Stewart. Other so. than the one that was eaten, Christian, Christian Stewart, but, um, but they're like twice the size of humans. It's kind of insane, intense. So it's a large monstrosity. Um, I ch- I got this guy at a challenge rating three, uh, giving him an AC of thirteen with an average hit point pool of eighty two, and his only speed is a swim speed of sixty feet. We don't okay. see these things on land, and we have no reason to believe they can move on land. Um, his favorite attributes being in strength and dexterity, uh, with a plus three in both. And his, uh, the rest of his stats are just kind of middling to bad, as right. in charisma and intelligence. Uh, because, they're ugly fish people. Yeah, I mean, and they're animalistic. We don't see these things acting with any level of intelligence. Uh-huh. So, um, I gave him a damage resistance to cold, because way down in the deep dark. It's very cold. Yeah, it's very as cold. We mentioned. <laughs> um, blind sight of 60 feet, because, again, they... Uh, they got crappy eyes. Well, they, they say in, the, like, the, the infant one that they find doesn't have eyes. Right. The adult ones we do see have eyes, they, yeah, but... Yeah, you can see the eye shine off of them, but they're not good. Yeah, so I had to give him a blind set of 60 feet and a passive perception of 10. Um, no languages. Um, for his traits, I only gave him three. Um, one I called Dark Environment. So while in low light or darkness, the Deep Hunter has advantage on wisdom uh, perception checks that rely on sight made to notice light sources. Which, I mean, I guess if you're in light, low light or darkness, it's going to be pretty easy to find those anyway, but I right. didn't... Like, it seems like in the movie, they the lights attract them. Okay. So, I didn't really know how else to do that. Maybe maybe I should do it where they automatically succeed on perception checks, but yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Um, then I gave him a trait that I called Sleeping Awareness. Uh, while asleep, the deep hunter wakes up if it is touched by any other creature or non-stationary object. I mean, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, um, so usually, in order to wake a creature, they have to take damage or be like you have to use an action to rouse them right. awake. Uh, but in this case, just a slight touch will wake them up. Okay. Um, and then I gave them the unhindered grappler ability, which is going to play into their marquee trait here in a bit. Um, while underwater a gra- and grappling a medium or smaller creature, the deep hunter can move up to its full speed instead of half. That's normally, pretty good. Yeah, normally um, while grappling, you and if you are carrying something or moving somebody, um, right? Yeah, you it, move at half. Yeah. So, uh, so these guys will grab you and then just fucking scoot. So now their abilities, their actions, are where that kind of comes into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first action is a grapple attack. It's a melee weapon attack, plus five to hit. Um, reach of five feet, one target, and it deals uh, 4d6 plus three um, bludgeoning damage, um, which is an average of 17. And whether they hit or miss, the target must make a dexterity saving throw with the DC equal to three plus the attack roll or become grappled by the deep hunter with an escape DC of 13, which is based off of their strength modifier. Okay. So the reason behind this is because in the movie, they do a lot of grabbing of of our humans. That's their primary... 
thing. Yeah, um, they they grab T.J. Miller, suck him through a suit. Uh, they grab Captain and take him for a ride mm-hmm. a couple times. They grab Smith and take him for a ride. Um, but only you know, in only one of those instances, do they actually hurt the guy. And I, I was trying to think of what like how that would communicate into D and D terms until mm-hmm. I realized it was like, well, duh, they're wearing essentially full plate armor. Yeah. Um, they have a high AC and these things are just not <laughs> hitting up high enough other than on, on TJ Miller's character. Um, I kind of wanted to do a thing where they had to roll above, uh, above, uh, 10 plus their opponent's dexterity modifier in order for that to trait to a trigger. Because right. to me, that's just the normal nimbleness and anything above that is the actual armor, but that got way too crunchy and wordy for a stat block. So yeah. I decided to go with this instead. No, no, I think that's fine. So, um, so then their second attack is a bite attack, which is a melee weapon attack plus five to hit, does a little bit more damage, three d twelve plus three piercing, uh, for an average twenty two. Okay. Um, I mean it doesn't have that extra effect, but if they're just looking for straight damage, they can do this instead. Right. And then of course they have the swallow attack. Oh God! Because <laughs> I had honestly forgotten that that was in the movie uh-huh. until I got to that point. <laughs> I was like, "Well, here we go, another vor monster." Right, um, cool. So Love that for us, uh, it's got the exact same swallow attack that like the giant toad or some mm-hmm. of our other swallowing creatures has. Our mini with mini swallow creatures, yeah, with only one exception. Okay, um, that I do have that. Um, while it has a creature swallowed, the deep hunter has a movement speed of five feet. Because while it's eating Kristen Stewart, I can't imagine it finishing eating her and then swimming around very fast. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> so, They'd probably get a full-up tummy. But uh, other than that, it is identical. Um, and instead of doing acid damage, it's 4d6 bludgeoning damage at the start of each of the Deep Hunters' turn. As it punches itself in the stomach over and over again? <laughs> that, yes. <laughs> As it pummels its, its already um, ingested prey. <laughs> yeah. um, but then I did give it also a reaction. That I called slippery when wet. Okay. Uh, while submerged in the water, after the deep hunter takes any damage from an attack, it can use its reaction to swim up to half its movement. Oh, okay. That's so. very useful. Yeah. So these things are kind of nimble, tricky to fight underwater. Mm-hmm. And um, will eat you. And they will absolutely eat you. They'll just fucking eat you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think that that kind of encapsulates well enough. Like, I mean... The monsters, like, have essentially two fatalities under their belt in this movie yeah. that we see. And one of them was from just the water pressure change uh-huh. that it was causing on Captain. It, so these things directly kill only one one character. Yeah. So I didn't think they were going to be too hard to hit. Or too, too no, hard no. to beat. But Oh, no. I think they're fine. Um, so there we have it. Um, any notes? Any any? No, uh, they're, I mean, they're very simple for what they do. But, you know, sometimes you need some of that. We, they can't all be... Giant weirdos. <laughs> they can't all be uh, colorophobites. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool, cool. So, Chris, uh, what, what are we doing next time? Well, uh, I've been wanting to watch a movie for a bit, so we are going to watch uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yep, saw that coming. <laughs> yeah, I mentioned that the other day to you. So, uh, cool, cool. Hey, that's a fun I, movie. Yeah, we're, we're on a streak since Prey of watching like actual good movies. And in fact, most of our movies this season, other than Prey, have been good movies. So let's keep that up. <laughs> I promise nothing. I know. I know you don't. I know we have some requests coming, and they're <laughs> always bad. <laughs> um, I can't defend. So <laughs> thank you so much for listening. We do really appreciate it, as always. 
Um, if you do enjoy the podcast, tell your friends. Uh, if you hate the podcast, tell Don't. your enemies about it. <laughs> huh. Encourage your enemies to listen. Um... No, if you hate the podcast, don't. Don't hate the Just podcast. don't hate the podcast. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Don't hate the podcast. We've done nothing to offend you, hopefully. No. Unless you're TJ Miller. <laughs> then I don't really give <laughs> a shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of people that I think we've offended at this point. TJ Miller. John. Uh, John. John Voight. John Voight. Liz Truss. <laughs> that, joke, that joke aged <laughs> interestingly. <laughs> Yeah, full disclosure, we recorded that like a week before the news. It was very funny. As soon as that happened, we were just like, hmm, what do do we need to do anything about this? Nah. Yeah, I was, I was, I almost, I almost did something in post and I was like, I can't say anything that would make it, that would add to this joke anymore. Uh So, um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, reach out to us with comments, feedback, uh, rate us on the various places, um, check us out on the various social media places with the exceptions of like Facebook. We're not there as far as I know. No, we're not. And I don't have any intention no. of doing it. I'm sorry. I no. Um, but yeah, creature crunch, all of the places, uh, um, all of the places. All you can them. also support us on Patreon. Uh, $5 a month will get you the Swamp Heap level, uh, which gets you bonus episodes um, bi-weekly and early access to our Comics Crunch um, episodes on a monthly basis, mm-hmm. uh, plus any future kind of endeavors that we plan on doing. Um, if you can't swing that, $1 a month will get you the Fur Buddy level, which doesn't give you anything except for our undying gratitude and uh, helps us re- recoup the cost of renting these movies or purchasing these dumb, movies. Dumb movies i i've bought like every single i know one you of have, almost yeah. almost without exception i didn't buy prey <laughs> well that's because it was available for free on fucking uh and, yeah i'm not gonna pay for that shit <laughs> but um and with that i think that covers it i i think that's everything yeah. man all right chris uh so where where can we find you we got to do that part uh you can find me on twitter for the time being at the library c that's c-e-e who knows what the future will bring of that you know social media empire you don't sound too confident about musk's no. little well musk all over the <laughs> all over the platform like the the best outcome for that is that he's going to treat it like most other things he's purchased and immediately forget that he owns it I hope for that one because I don't know where I'm going to go if that one. I mean, granted, I'll probably I'm not... retreat back to Tumblr. Tumblr would probably be the most. It's still pretty lively. It survived its particular apocalypse <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you can also follow me on Twitter for the time being. Uh, you can follow. I mean, my account's not going anywhere. You can follow me on Twitter at <laughs> Danny underscore Hamsteak. Let's face it. If I stop using Twitter, it'll, I'll be posting about as much as I do now anyway. So. <laughs> You'll be retweeting a little less. Well, there will yeah, be fewer be... Godzilla pictures being retweeted like once a week. <laughs> but those will probably be on Tumblr, so don't worry. The Godzilla pictures will continue circulating. <laughs> I don't know why. I just can't get into the Godzilla fandom on Twitter. No, which is which is a shame because they're great people. Mm-hmm. They're really awesome people. Great talented artists. Manila, uh, Manila Mondays are fun. Mm-hmm. But I just can't do it. I can't get That's into funny. it. It's weird. But anyway. Um... This isn't a Godzilla podcast. No. We'll see you next time.